to the next part of our uh, coronation preaching series. Can I welcome you if you're a visitor here? Uh, welcome you if you're a long-term attendee here. Welcome you if you're just kind of working out, hey, do I belong here or not? Whatever your uh, situation and circumstance, you're very welcome here. Welcome to you on YouTube. Uh, if you're watching us uh, live or catching up uh, after the event, you're welcome too. Let's just pray as we start. Father, just want to thank you for... Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that we can hear you, be with you. Thank you for our worship this morning. Thank you for the way that we've just been led into your presence in such a, uh, a remarkable way. Lord, it's just so good to be your people, uh, to be with you. Amen. Amen. The Bible might seem to be a... Uh, a discon disconnected book, a series of disconnected kind of books that have no real story in common. There's all sorts of stuff there. There's history, there's literature, there's law, there's poetry, there's letters. How do we kind of fit it all together? What's the big picture? What's the, the narrative that runs all through scripture? Um, and it is a great story. There is a great narrative. It's the story of the creator of the universe. Somebody who is as high and as lofty as it's possible to be, yet who made himself as low as he could be to take an unimaginable punishment, to save an uncountable number of people from an indescribable horror, to break through the seemingly impenetrable barrier of sin and to do this for all eternity. That's a story worth proclaiming. Across 66 books written by 40 authors over 2,000 years of time, that's the narrative, that's the story that we read in the Bible. And within that story, there are a number of themes that, 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 that come to the front and then sort of fall to the background and then come to the front again, but are there as we go through the whole story. And uh, one of the themes, or three of the themes that we are looking at in this series are the fact that Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Last week, we started this series by looking at Jesus, our prophet. Next week, Danny's going to pick up the subject of Jesus being our king. But this morning, we're looking at Jesus being our priest. What does that actually mean? Because the idea of priesthood is a subject, it's a topic, it's a story in itself that we find all the way through Scripture. It comes to the front in some books, it recedes back in others, but it's there but it's there, and it is an incredible uh, story. Can I have this guy on? There we go. Last week, uh, I used this diagram uh, as really a, a, um, a summary of this whole series. I don't intend to forensically go through this diagram as, as I did last week, but it still holds true. And I would encourage you to think about these five points uh, just in terms of being a prophet, priest, and a king. Now, last week, we looked at the idea of a prophet as being somebody who hears from God. God wants to speak, and we're all, in a sense, prophets. We all hear from God. Today, we're looking at the idea of being a priest in that we can talk to God. 
there's this communication. Communication is always a two-way thing, isn't it? It's not one person just speaking to another. A conversation is two people, one person speaking to one, the other person speaking to back. So there's this great balance. As a prophet, God speaks to us. As priests, we speak to God. And that has always been God's intention for us to be able to come into his presence and speak to him. And so just again, using that diagram very quickly, uh, the same circular story, the same circular journey exists. In paradise, in Eden, Adam and Eve could speak with God. There's this wonderful story, again I used it last time, where, where Adam sort of named all the animals and, and uh, Adam and Eve had this conversation. They, they, there was no barrier to their coming into God's presence and speaking with him. But sin became a problem. In fact, all my points start with P, but P per problem, that's, that's a real understatement. Sin became a disaster. Sin became this unimaginable crisis that meant there was now a barrier between men and women. And they could no longer talk to God. Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden. It was difficult to come into God's presence now, that was never God's intention. God's intention was always that he would have a close relationship with his creation. And so he, he created the role of a priest in a way as a promise. It was a human solution. It was a temporary solution. It was an imperfect solution because we're all still failed human beings. We all have sin in our lives. But he created the priest as a model, as a picture of somebody who could come into God's presence on behalf of others, who could pray on their behalf, who could come into God's presence with their prayers, with their needs, with their wants. And that priest, that model, that picture looked forward to a person who would be that perfect representation of somebody who could come into God's presence, Jesus, our high priest. And so here we are now as a people, as a royal priesthood, which is an idea we'll pick up a little bit later on this morning, as a people who again love to be in God's presence. That's what we've been doing this morning. That's what we've been joyously worshipping about, the fact that we can come into God's presence. But we're not quite there yet. We're not back in paradise yet. We're not back in Eden. And so as a people, we, we, we look in these two directions. We look forward to Eden, to getting back to paradise, to being with God. And we look back to Jesus as our continuing model and pattern and picture of what it means to be a priest. And so that's a diagram that, again, uh, just quickly reminding us that that applies whether we talk about prophet, priest, and king. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the idea of priesthood. And I said it's an idea that runs throughout Scripture. Particularly, it's, uh, it's very prevalent in the Old Testament. If you look at, uh, uh, if, if you've ever tried reading through the Bible, which I would encourage you to do, it usually starts really well, doesn't it? Genesis has got great stories in there, you know, Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and it's all real good stuff. You want, you want that movie to watch. Uh, and Exodus, the beginning of Exodus, is pretty good as well, isn't it? Moses and the plagues and crossing the Red Sea, that, that's all good. And once you get to about chapter 20 of Exodus, it all starts to get a little bit harder. 
And once you get into Leviticus and you think, gosh, what's this all about? This, this law and this priests and this tabernacle and this, this kind of stuff that when we get to numbers, we just need to repeat it all over again. And you think, what, what is all that about? Um, and in Hebrews, you see, but it's not just something that's in the Old Testament. In Hebrews, the writer writes a lot about what it means to be priests. And so, in a sense, Hebrews is an interesting book because we don't know who wrote it. That's why we just talk about the writer to Hebrews. But, but he is writing to a group of people that are, that are Jews mainly, people that have grown up with the Jewish faith, with the idea of priests. And he's trying to kind of do a first century diagram like this and say, hang on, guys, there's a person called Jesus who's a greater high priest. And you guys have got a bit of a challenge in front of you. They're Jews, they've got all this tradition, and they've become Christians. And they're asking this really important question, how important is Jesus in my life? How important is Jesus? And the writer to Hebrews is trying, and they're kind of saying, well, do I, need, do, do I hang on to all this Old Testament priesthood stuff that we've got, the sacrifices of the temple? Do I hang on to that? Or, or do I, have I got something better in Jesus? And so the book of the Hebrews is really about this writer forensically going through the Old Testament law and the temple and the priests and all the things that these people believed in and said, ah, oh, but Jesus is better. So this morning we have a rather poor analogy. It's kind of a, an old-fashioned boxing match. Who is the better? In the red corner, we have the Old Testament priests and the law and the tabernacle. And in the blue corner, we have Jesus. Who's going to win? Who's going to be more superior? Let's start with a, well, we're well into this anyway, so let's have a reading anyway. Uh, well, not a reading anyway, we need to have a reading. <laughs> we need to have a reading. I get so excited, I mustn't. Mustn't rush ahead and not do the reading. Here we go from Hebrews again, chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests, this is his argument, see, this is his presentation to these people that says, Hey, Jesus is important. I know you think the priests are important, but this is why Jesus is important. The former priests, the priests of the Old Testament, were many in number because they were prevented by death for continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. I love that. It's not that Jesus saves. Jesus saves to the uttermost. Uh, uttermost. Uh, those who, who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. Amen. And it's probably difficult for us to appreciate the importance of the Old Testament priesthood. You might be sitting here this morning and thinking, I've kind of sussed out where this is going. I'm really not sure we need to sit through half an hour of priests. What does it mean to be priests? Well, that's kind of 
Old Testament stuff. That's not terribly relevant to me in 21st century Crawley. But you see, the priest was the, uh, was the football hero of the day, uh, the pop star, the role model, the, uh, uh, the social media tweeter, the one that everybody followed, the Eurovision pop star, dare I say it, the one that everybody's eyes were focused on. It was really important. And he alone was the channel through which men spoke to God. Because mankind had fallen and sin had created this barrier between God and men. And men couldn't come to God, couldn't come into God's presence in the way we have come into his presence today. And you might also ask, well, why all the complexity? Why, when I struggled, well, no, I'm not struggling, I've made it through Genesis and Exodus, now I'm struggling through the second half of Exodus and Leviticus. Why all this rigmarole of ceremonial clothes and washing and this and that and the other? Why is it so difficult? Because God is a holy God. God is a holy God. And uh, he has to make this barrier between what is unclean uh, and what is clean. People who are imperfect just can't come into God's presence. And if we, if we scratch our head a bit at all the complexity of the Old Testament priesthood and the law and the temple, then actually it's because we probably haven't understood the seriousness of sin and how God has to totally separate himself from that. Uh, our memories of COVID are not that far in the past. Yeah, we remember the procedures that we had to observe to prevent the spread of the infection. You know, we, Valentina and I, were, were, were personally impacted by that uh, because at the beginning of COVID, my, my mother was terminally ill, not with COVID, but she was in a hospice uh, approaching the, the end of her life. And because of COVID, there were severe restrictions over how we could visit and when we could visit. And normally when people were approaching the end of their life, the families were actually allowed to stay overnight with the person that was getting to the end of their life. Now, we couldn't do that. And for us, we had to say our goodbyes the day before because there were these rules uh, and principles in place to prevent the disease from spreading. Now, I share that only to kind of convey the need for all the law and processes in the Old Testament. You see, if COVID was a life-threatening illness, a life-threatening condition, then multiply that a thousandfold and you have the idea of what sin really was, a threatening, a life-threatening disease. And if you take the cleanliness of an operating room, a hospital, or indeed a hospice, uh, that's the cleanliness. And if you multiply that by a thousandfold, then you approach the holiness of God. And you see, the temple and all the rules were there, not because what God wanted to be distant from his people, not because he didn't want them coming to him, but because he was a holy God, and we were now this sinful people, and there was this barrier in the middle to deal with that. So let's dip into the passage of Hebrews. Uh, it may still seem a little bit of an academic debate, um, but, but it's actually not... Because the writer to the Hebrews was saying to these people, look, you've got this tradition, you've got this history. Frankly, if you're going to embrace Jesus, there's some things you're going to have to give up. 
there's some things you're going to have to think afresh about in terms of their priority. And you know, that's true for every one of us. When we come to Jesus, there are things we may have to give up. There are things we may have to reevaluate. For us, it's probably not going to be how important is the Old Testament priesthood to me. But for us, it will be other things. Can I still carry on living my life in that way? Can I still carry on doing that? What's more important in my life? Is it that or is it Jesus? And so this isn't an academic debate. But we are going to work through this idea of priesthood. We're going to unpack this passage. I'm going to pull out just four differences. Actually, there are many, many more in Hebrews. I would encourage you to look at it. But, but there are just four here. The exam question is, remember, who makes a better priest? The Old Testament priests or Jesus? If it's Jesus, then I need to bring him my all. I need to give it my all. And that's a tough question because the people that this letter is being written to have a pretty high impression of the Old Testament priests off the bat to start with. But anyway, let's start with, uh, with four differences. Firstly, the difference between the Old Testament priests and Jesus is the difference between a double sacrifice and a single sacrifice. Hebrews 7.27, he, that is Jesus, had no need like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for those of the people. So he did, because he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. The writer of the Hebrews makes the very clear point that before the high priest could sacrifice or atone for the sins of the people, before he could pray for them, before he could do anything for them, he had to make himself clean. And that's where we have all these laws about the ceremonial washing and the ceremonial cleaning and the robes and the special clothes that he had to wear and the special way that he had to be anointed just so he could come into God's presence. It's very much like a modern day operating theatre. If you go into hospital for an operation or for a procedure, before the surgeon gets anywhere near you, he's got to scrub up and gown up and put his gloves on, and go through this process to make himself clean before he can even start to help you. And you see, that's just a 21st century picture of what happened in the temple those thousands of years ago. The high priest was the surgeon who had to cleanse himself, had to make himself clean before he could pray for the people. And Jesus doesn't do that. The writer makes that difference. He said, he did this first for his, the high priest did this first for his own sins and then for the people. But he said, Jesus doesn't do this. He did this once and for all when he offered himself up on the cross. He made that sacrifice. He didn't have to make himself clean. Jesus was perfect already. There's nothing he had to do to say, I'm now ready to make these people clean. He said, I'm the son of God, I'm holy, I'm perfect, I'm on the cross to cleanse. So it's like that waiting room. Yeah, if, if, imagine sitting on that hospital dolly thinking, when am I getting off? You, you wouldn't because you'd been anaesthetised, wouldn't you? But if they go with me, yeah. when's he going to come? When's he going to operate on me? Oh, no, no, he's still cleaning himself up. He's still putting his gown on. He's still putting his gloves on. No, Jesus says, no, I come now. I don't have to make myself clean before I can minister to you. 
Secondly, it was a daily sacrifice for the Old Testament priests versus a single priest. Again, it's great. Not only do we get one point from one verse, we get two points from the same verse. Um, Secondly, the same passage. He had no need to offer sacrifices daily. He did this once and for all. You see, the high priest, every week, every year, they had to go in and offer the sacrifices. Um, some years ago, I was, uh, I was diagnosed with slightly high blood pressure. Okay? And I have to take a pill each day to keep my blood pressure down. It's nothing too serious, but I've got to take that pill. And when I was discussing it with the doctor, at no point did the doctor say to me, you've got high blood pressure, take this pill, that'll fix your problem. Didn't happen. She said, no, you've got to take it tomorrow and the day after, and the day after, and the day after. And I actually said, I said, so, 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 so when do I stop taking it? When has it done its job? I said, no, 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 you've got high blood pressure. You keep taking this pill every day. And that was what the high priest had to do. You see, every day he'd come in and he'd offer the sacrifices for the people. And I wonder if at any time he, he had the same question. I wonder if it will work today and I don't need to come back next week and next year and do the same thing all over again. And the answer was no. You've got to come back. You've got to make the sacrifice again. You've got to do it again. You've got to keep on doing it again. And Jesus doesn't do that. You see, the sacrifice Jesus made was a single sacrifice once and for all on the cross. Our symbol is an empty cross, isn't it? It's an empty cross. It's a completed work. It's a completed sacrifice. We don't put Jesus back on the cross every day and say, hey, there's a little bit more for you to do. What you did last week was great, but it hasn't quite done the trick. No, Jesus' sacrifice was for once and for all. You see, the sacrifices by the priest didn't achieve any lasting or permanent solution. They just had to do it all over again. As it says in Hebrews 9, the the writer to Hebrews, I say he's nothing if not forensic with his disassembly of these Old Testament beliefs. He, he He just keeps on and on, a bit like me sometimes. He just keeps on and on as if these guys haven't got the point. And in Hebrews 9, he says, look, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he, that is Jesus, would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But it is he, that is Jesus, appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Thirdly, a desired sacrifice versus an unwanted sacrifice. The writer, the writer I can't put it any other way, the writer, he, he just takes no prisoners. He's just not going to let the guys off the hook here. He's remorseless in pointing out the, uh, the failure of what they had, or to be better, the superiority of what they can have in Jesus. For on the one hand, A former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. 
And again, this is, this is key. This is important. Jesus didn't come to invalidate all of the Old Testament. He didn't come to say, you can rip that bit out of your Bibles now. That's not relevant anymore. He came to fulfill it in a better way. And that's why there's always this comparison that we do in Scripture. That's what we had then. And it was a picture, and it was a pattern, and it was a model. And here is Jesus, who is so much better. And the writer's being brutally frank here. He's being brutally frank here. Uh, hundreds of years of priestly tradition and sacrifice, summed up by the writer as weak and useless. Just, just put yourself in the shoes for a moment of, of these first century Jews whose entire existence is based on the power and the authority and the historicity of the, of the temple and the sacrifice. And the writer says, ah, guys, it's weak and it's useless because there's something better in Jesus Christ. There's something better in Jesus Christ. On one occasion, uh, we find this uh, illustrated so well in, in the book of Samuel. Uh, when uh, the story, this is a story we'll probably unpick a little bit later uh, in, in another session. Uh, but the story here is that, that Saul has, uh, uh, is waiting for Samuel to come because Samuel is the priest who's meant to offer the sacrifices. Saul's the king. He's kind of waiting and Samuel's got delayed and, and Saul's worried that the people are going to kind of disappear. So he kind of does what he shouldn't do. He makes the sacrifice. It wasn't his job to do that. That's what the priest did. And just as he, he makes the sacrifice, Samuel turns up on the scene and says, basically, what have you done? What have you done? That wasn't your job to do. And he says, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt, a greater delight in offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And you see, Saul probably thought he was doing the right thing. Sacrifices are good. Let's praise God. For, for what he has done, they'd, they'd won a victory, they'd won a battle, I want to thank God. But earlier on, far more strongly, this principle was, just obey my word. The priest is the one that brings the sacrifice. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And again, these guys, these Old Testament Hebrews, would have just grown up with this idea that, hey, God wants our sacrifice, the blood of bulls, the blood of goats, that's really important. That's what drives the world. That's the worldview that we have. That's what's important, coming to the temple and offering the sacrifice. And then, as strongly as that idea comes across in, old, in the Old Testament, you, 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 you just bump into these verses in Psalms, where, where God says, uh, uh, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. This is David. This is a psalm of David. He's talking to God. He's saying, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. But you've given me an open ear. You see, doesn't that bring us back to this whole thing about hearing from God, being able to speak to God? That's what it's all about. To obey is better than sacrifice. You didn't want these, uh, uh, these sacrifices. And God says, uh, I will not accept the bulls from your house or the goats from your fold because oh, the beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. On a thousand hills. 
What God wants is our ears to be open to him. That's what we were talking about last week, being able to hear God. That's what he wants. He doesn't want this sacrifice that means we don't obey his word. To obey is better than sacrifice. He doesn't need this sacrifice. I love this. I love that, that, that Psalm 50. He doesn't need, he never needed this sacrifice. He owns all the animals anyway. As I was preparing for that, that one just came to me afresh. Here's these people saying, hey God, we're going to give you this bull. We're going to give you this goat. We're going to give you this lamb. And there's God up in front of you. Yeah, but they're mine already. They're mine already. I don't need them. I want your obedience. I want your heart. I want you to come into my presence. And then lastly, fourthly, this was a dangerous sacrifice versus an acceptable sacrifice. If we were to give you a questionnaire, we won't, but just imagine as you left this morning, we gave you a questionnaire and said, uh, describe your experience with us this morning. What did you think about your time with us? I'd hope you'd put down things like, well, we had a nice time. We'll be back next week. See you soon. We, we could rate ourselves on TripAdvisor or something like that. We, we'd be a little bit worried if you put down something like, I feared for my life. <laughs> I feared for my life. I didn't think I was going to make it out in one piece. But you see, that was the reality thousands of years ago. That was why the priest actually feared for his life as he went into God's presence. This was the position that the high priest found himself in. You see, once a year, only once a year, he could enter the Holy of Holies, the centre of the temple where God's presence was. He'd, he'd wear a robe with these little bells on, okay? Uh, and, and he'd have this uh, a rope tied round his legs, his ankle, and there'll be these little bells on it as well. And the other priests will be other on the other end of the rope. And as he went into, if you imagine this kind of drum kit, here we are, I'm going behind the sky, I'm going into the Holy of Holies, okay? I'm going to disappear from your sight. But I've got this robe on with these bells. I've got this rope around my ankle. With and all the time you can hear the bells jingling, I'm kind of still moving. I'm still alive. But, but just maybe... Just maybe I'm just going to be struck dead in the presence of God because he's so holy and I'm so sinful. And maybe I haven't done that ceremonial washing and bathing correctly. Maybe I haven't put on the ceremonial robe in the right way. And I come into the God's presence and suddenly the bells go silent. And all the other priests think, oh God, he's not moving around much now, is he? So they can pull on the rope and they can get the body back. Did any of you do that in your preparation this morning for coming into God's presence? If your friend or spouse or other half or someone you normally comes with is not here, did you say, hang on to the other end of the rope. If the bells stop jingling, you'll at least get my body back. That's the seriousness of what it meant to come into the presence of God. It says there on the hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns. Around the hem will be bells of gold, golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers. And it shall, sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out, that he shall 
not die. In Hebrews 12, again, the writer just makes this compelling, clear comparison between the failure of the Old Testament priesthood and what comes through Jesus. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the heaven beg for no further message to be spoken to them. Again, that's not, I trust, I trust that's not our experience this morning. We're not saying, oh, hey, we don't want to hear anymore because this is so overwhelmingly powerful that we are fearful that we may not make it out. The holy mountain that they actually couldn't touch on fear of death. So hey, you're not come to that, the writer says. It says that yeah, even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Praise God that's not our experience today. Why is that not our experience today? Because we have Jesus as our priest who offers a better priesthood. So that we don't come to Mount Sinai, we come to Mount Zion, the city of a living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hallelujah, absolutely right, absolutely right. The writer to the Hebrews, he just makes this point so well. The priesthood that you had before is just not going to cut it moving forward. You need Jesus. You need to embrace him. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us today, here, now? Well, of course, we don't bring bulls and goats to be sacrificed today. Uh, Steve doesn't have to pray to God for us. I'm sure he does, but he doesn't have to. That's not the only route that our prayers get to God. We don't come to Steve and say, hey, Steve, would you take this message to God for me? You're my priest. You and only you alone can take that prayer. No, we can do that. We can pray. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're all priests. We are all priests. Going back to that first diagram, that's the point. That's the people bit that we now inhabit. We are all priests. Whether you've been a Christian, <coughs> whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or five minutes, whether you know the Bible back to front or have hardly opened it, whether you feel worthy or unworthy, whether your week has been great or been a disaster, whether we feel we have it all together or feel we're just falling apart, we can come to God. We can come to God. That's the great story of the Bible. From Eden all the way around back to paradise. In the hardships, in the difficulties, sometimes God doesn't seem very near. Sometimes we think, I don't understand what's going on. How am I going to get through this? Well, we can turn to Jesus, our pattern, our model, 
our picture. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. We've only ever known this freedom. We've only ever known the, 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 the absolute freedom of coming into God's presence. And that's why it's so important to, to have that finger in Exodus, to read those stories, as, as odd and divorced as they may seem from our life today. We need to say, hey, I don't want to forget what Jesus has won for me, because I wouldn't want to be in that sort of position says in Hebrews 13, let me start to bring this to a close. Through him then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. See, that's what we now do as priests. You see, sacrifices haven't gone away. Jesus didn't, seem, didn't say, hey, no, sacrifice ends now. The, that Old Testament aspect has ended. We don't do sacrifice, we do this. No, we do sacrifices we are priests. We come into God's presence with a sacrifice. What has changed is it's not bulls or goats or lambs. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice of praise. And actually, just in, in closing, as I thought about that, one of the failures that we can so, or one of the, the things that we can so easily fall into as Christians is to take that for granted. It probably didn't cost us much to come here this morning. It probably didn't cost us much. We probably had to get up a little bit earlier than we perhaps would have liked. We maybe could have done with that extra half hour in bed. But that's probably the extent to which it cost us. Again, we've got brothers and sisters here today with us who coming into God's presence has been costly, has been life-threatening. Not because they might be struck dead by the power of God, but they might be struck dead by the transient powers that governments have over them. But for most of us, coming into God's presence wasn't terribly costly. And I think if that's our attitude, we're the weaker for it. Because coming into God's presence should never be taken lightly. We somehow have to find the balance between, yes, we have the freedom... Praise God for the freedom. We, ever, we would never want to undo that. Praise God for the freedom to come into God's presence. But actually, we shouldn't take that for granted. We shouldn't take that for granted. Because I, ha I just have this feeling that if we, if we get to the point where we take coming into God's presence for granted, if we see it as something that doesn't really cost us very much, then we're very easily going to find other things to chase after. We're going to find other things that are just that little bit more important. See, nobody's taking the register on a Sunday morning. Nobody's following you up with an email, why weren't you there this Sunday? Didn't see you in church on Sunday. I mean, we care for each other, obviously, and we know if, and if folk, we don't see folks for a period of time, we'd want to check out and make sure, are you okay? Is everything all right? But hey... There's no register, there's no tick box when you come in of a morning. You've got that freedom. You've got that freedom. But do we take that for granted sometimes? I think that's just the lesson that we maybe need to take away from this morning. That these guys that, that read this letter to Hebrews, they went away probably thinking, gosh, we need to reevaluate our priorities. 
we need to reevaluate our lives. We need to reevaluate what's important to us. And I think all I'm doing this morning is asking you to do the same thing. To say what is actually really important in my life. Because if it is Jesus, then that means there's probably some other things that have to become a lesser priority or have to even stop. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedom that we have to come into your presence. Lord, may we never take that for granted. May we rejoice every day that the bells are not on the bottom of our dresses and trousers. That there's no one waiting to drag us back if we are struck dead in your presence. Because we have Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant who died for us, who gave his all for us, in a once-for-all sacrifice that we too might be priests. Amen.